Welcome to Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators with Jordan Donnell. This is a safe place to learn about women's health and sexual wellness. I'm your host, Jordan Donnell, physician assistant, women's sexual health educator, and intimacy coach. On today's episode, we are talking about a couple of sexually transmitted infections you might not have heard of. The new STIs on the block are marcoplasm and ureaplasm. Just like the other sexually transmitted infections we've talked about, they are also commonly asymptomatic. Get ready to learn some new facts in the fourth episode on genital tract infections. Before we get started, I have a special offer for you. I have created the ultimate guide to foreplay with hot tips and tricks to spice it up. Get your copy of my ultimate guide to foreplay by going to foreplay.vaginasvulvasandvibrators.com. Hope you enjoy my bonus gift to you. You can also find the link in the bio. Welcome back, you guys. I am super excited to be doing this episode here today. I have procrastinated beyond belief and am recording this only a couple days before I plan to let it release. Usually I don't do that. I usually try to be a couple weeks in advance, but this episode has become very challenging to put together because I had to do a lot of research. Marcoplasm and ureaplasm are the new sexually transmitted infections on the block. And they are some tricky bacteria. Believe it or not, most providers have never heard of these sexually transmitted infections. I fortunately was able to learn about them at my first primary care locums or traveling position. They were part of routine screening at that job. So I saw them all the time. I learned about them. It was great. However, at my current practice, I've found that... um, A, testing for them is nearly impossible, but B, I'm not sure that any of my coworkers know about it. So I think I need to do an in-service for my fellow providers because I think they would definitely benefit from this information. I even reached out to a girlfriend of mine in primary care and asked her if she was familiar with marcoplasm and ureaplasm. And thankfully she had learned about it, but she had learned about it through a Facebook group. This is not a sexually transmitted infection that's talked about in school. This is not one that you hear about really in office. So unless you know, you don't know, which is why this topic is so important today. Now, marcoplasm and ureaplasm pose a huge challenge because many people are not aware of them. So your providers and our patients are not aware of them. And then to top it off, they're also becoming resistant to treatment that creates a bigger problem. Putting this episode together has been very difficult because there's not a lot of information out there and the consistency varies depending on what source you look at. So bear with me. It, it was definitely one of the hardest episodes that I've put together, but it is very good information to get out there. And, you know, I know studies continue to change. So this is probably one of those episodes that I will end up repeating sooner rather than later as information changes. Some of the sources that I did use to put this together would be up to date, which is one of the big medical resources, Medscape, which is another medical resource, and then of course the CDC, the Center for Disease and Control. I did use some other journal articles as well to compile all of my information. You can check out the blog 
to fact check this episode. I can throw all the links in there for the different studies as well. Let's get right into it. Marcoplasm and ureaplasm. Before we start, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson. Marcoplasm has been around since the 1980s. However, it wasn't until 2015 when the CDC, the Center for Disease and Control, identified it as an emerging issue. A 2015 study was done with 16 to 44-year-old British men and women that showed there was a link between marcoplasm genitalium and sexual transmission. It was concluded that for both men and women, marcoplasm genitalium was strongly associated with an increased number of total partners and new partners and unsafe sex. There was a study done in 2007 that showed the prevalence of marcoplasm genitalium increased 10% with each additional sexual partner. Let that sink in for a minute. So I, I can't even do the math. But if you have 10 partners, 10 times 10 is 100%. So that's really bad math, but you get it. Having multiple sexual partners definitely increases your risk on this one pretty significantly. Studies have been done on this bacteria for a long period of time, but it wasn't until that 2015 study that the CDC decided to identify it as an emerging issue. I haven't found any studies that show there's any newer sexually transmitted infections, so I would like to say this is the, quote, newest sexually transmitted infection. However, I couldn't find that stated anywhere. To get a better understanding, I'm going to continue to go a little bit sciencey on you. So marcoplasm is the smallest free-living organism capable of self-replication. It is actually so small that it cannot be seen on a microscope. Marcoplasm have no cell wall, and if you really like scientific classifications, I'm going to give this to you. I wish there was like the, um, like on some podcasts where they have the really fast, I'm um, giving you the information, but it goes really fast. That is what we need for this part. This part doesn't mean anything uh, to me personally, but it is kind of helpful to understand where they come from. So, Marcoplasm and ureaplasm belong to a class called molecutes. The order is Marcoplasmatales, with a single family Marcoplasmatasia, and two genera Marcoplasm and ureaplasm. Those are the two that we're talking about here. There are over a hundred strands of Marcoplasm. Two of them are known to be sexually transmitted: Marcoplasm genitalium and marcoplasm hominis. There are eight ureaplasm, and two of those are known to be sexually transmitted, ureaplasm ulyticum and ureaplasm parvum. Ureaplasm parvum is more common than ureaplasm ulyticum, but ureaplasm ulyticum is believed to be more pathogenic. Marcoplasm and ureaplasm are considered non-chlamydial, non-gonococcal infections. For the most part, the research has primarily been done on marcoplasm genitalium. So that's kind of the one that we're going to talk about most here in this episode, but knowing about those other three are important to know that they're there and be aware of them. 
And as more studies kind of come out and more information is known, I'll be able to share more information. But at this point, there's just not that much out there. In the United States, Marcoplasm genitalium is the third most common sexually transmitted infection among young people. It is estimated that about 2 to 4% of the population has the infection and about 1% of women have Marcoplasm genitalium. So that actually makes this more prevalent than gonorrhea, but less common than chlamydia. And get ready for this. Marcoplasm and ureaplasm are not part of the standard sexually transmitted infection panel. If you haven't listened to the last episode where I talk about what is included on a sexually transmitted infection panel, go check it out. These are a couple of the different infections that are not routinely screened for. So if we're not checking for it, how are we going to identify who has it and prevent the spread of it? That's what I want to know. But all I can do is bring awareness so that you guys are aware of what's out there and what to ask your provider for, and we can go from there. Marcoplasm and ureaplasm, where, like I said, we're talking about both of them in this episode, but most of the research is done on Marcoplasm genitalium. There are some similarities and differences between all of them. For the most part, they are very similar, but one of the big differences that I did run into is that ureaplasm, both types, and Marcoplasm hominis can be part of the body's normal bacterial population unlike Marcoplasm genitalium. They can live in balance without causing a problem in most cases. That makes it an opportunistic bacteria, a bacteria that is typically non-pathogenic that can act as a pathogen in certain circumstances. When the balance is off, that can lead to an infection. So that's kind of similar to bacterial vaginosis in that Gardnella, which is the primary bacteria found in bacterial vaginosis, is normally found in the vaginal flora, but when the balance is off, you have bacterial vaginosis. So kind of the same idea. Research was kind of spotty when it came to that fact about finding it in the normal vaginal flora and that part of the normal bacterial population of the body. There were a couple different resources that I used. Overall, most of them suggested that it was normally found in the body. However, some didn't state anything, so it's kind of a little bit tricky and a fine line there. But I would, based on the resources that I have, I would say that that is a pretty accurate statement. But again, as more research comes in, information could change. Scientists are not totally sure how marcoplasm and ureaplasm are transmitted between individuals. However, it does appear to spread via genital to genital contact and ejaculation does not have to occur to spread these infections. Super, super important. I think that's one of the most common things that I have seen with patients is that they think it, well, if I don't ejaculate, then I don't have to worry about it. False. Okay. You can still transmit sexually transmitted infections without ejaculating. Spread the word on that. Marcoplasm genitalium is a very slow growing bacteria. So that makes it really hard to study. And they don't really know the average length of time it takes for the bacteria to cause infection. Some of the studies that I read 
showed that Marcoplasm genitalium takes about six months to grow in a lab. So does it take six months to become infected? Like how, who knows, you know, more research needs to be done because it grows so slow. It makes it difficult to test for Marcoplasm and ureaplasm, and it requires special testing. In order to get tested, you will need to see your provider. They will most likely use a vaginal swab or a urine specimen to test for these bacteria. The type of testing that's done is going to usually be like a PCR where they look for the DNA of these infections. They're not going to grow them in a petri dish like some other infections, like when you have a UTI. Not in this case because it's so slow. Like you don't have six months to wait for your results, right? There are currently no CDC guidelines for screening for these. However, through my research, I did find that if someone is symptomatic or high risk, so multiple sexual partners, testing should be considered. But for someone with no symptoms, there are currently no recommendations. Personally, I would expect that to change over the coming years, especially with the increased frequency and then also that antibiotic resistance will play into how often we are screening for these diseases. The reason I expect testing to kind of also increase is because most people who have marcoplasm or ureaplasm are asymptomatic, meaning they have no symptoms. This is just like gonorrhea and chlamydia. If we're not testing for it, most of the time we're not going to know. Studies show that Marcoplasm hominis has been isolated from cervical vaginal specimen in 21 to 52% of women who are asymptomatic and sexually active, whereas ureaplasm has been isolated in 40 to 80% of women who are asymptomatic and sexually active. Although a lot of people are asymptomatic, some individuals will have symptoms. Urethritis or inflammation of the urethra may be present in men, which includes urethral discharge, irritation, or pain with urination. In women, that would present with vaginal discharge, urethral irritation, and pain with urination. Studies show that 20 to 30% of non-chlamydial, non-gonococcal urethritis infections are caused by marcoplasm genitalium. Epididymitis or inflammation of the epididymis might be seen in men and present with unilateral warmth, tenderness, and swelling within the scrotum. In men, you might also see blanitis or inflammation of the glands penis or the head of the penis. You might even see postitis or inflammation of the foreskin in men. In women, you may see cervicitis or inflammation of the cervix, resulting in vaginal discharge, pelvic pain, pain with intercourse, or even bleeding with intercourse and bleeding between periods. Marcoplasm genitalium is detected in about 10 to 20% of women with cervicitis. With Marcoplasm hominis, there are articles that show that bacterial vaginosis can be a symptom as well. Pelvic inflammatory disease can also happen with these bacteria. 
We talked about that in our last episode, but classic findings for pelvic inflammatory disease include fever, pelvic pain, and potentially uterine, cervical, or ovary tenderness on physical exam. Marcoplasm and ureaplasm can be treated with antibiotics. However, here's an interesting fact as well. The antibiotic dose and medication choice is very specific to each type of bacteria. So the marcoplasm genitalium is treated differently than the ureaplasm. They have their own set of antibiotic resistance. And because there's no cell wall, many antibiotics actually can't be used to treat these bacteria. So we have a very limited number of antibiotics to try. So that makes it very challenging to treat. Interestingly enough, with the medication and the dose as well, you treat it sometimes with the same medication as with chlamydia, but the dose varies. So if you get treated for some other sexually transmitted infection, it doesn't necessarily cover you for treatment for these bacteria as well. If you do come up positive for marcoplasm or ureaplasm, I personally recommend retesting about three to four weeks after treatment to ensure the bacteria is gone. And because of the antibiotic resistance, test of cures or that repeat testing is very important. You want to make sure that it's treated adequately. And just like other sexually transmitted infections, you will want to make sure that your partners are tested and treated as well. If marcoplasm and ureaplasm are untreated, they can lead to pelvic inflammatory disease, arthritis, infertility, ectopic pregnancy, chronic pelvic pain, and even potentially preterm labor. This is similar to other sexually transmitted infections. There are some studies that show that marcoplasm genitalium can also increase your risk of contracting HIV. So similar to other sexually transmitted infections, making sure that you're tested and treated is important for your overall health. To prevent marcoplasm and ureaplasm, I would encourage you know long-term mutually monogamous relationships abstinence. Both of those can limit your exposure and risk. Although I initially learned that this bacteria is too small that it can get through condoms, but I fact-checked and found that that is actually a lie. A study in 2017 did show that condoms can provide some protection against these sexually transmitted infections. So that is really good news. So in summary, today we kind of covered a lot. Hopefully you learned some new facts about the new sexually transmitted infections on the block. Hopefully you share this with your friends so that they can also learn about these new sexually transmitted infections. And then next time you go get tested, ask your provider to screen you for these, especially if you're having symptoms. Marcoplasm and ureaplasm are typically asymptomatic and not routinely screened for. If your provider won't test you for them, something else you can do is look online for different online sexually transmitted infection testing sites. There are some out there that will screen for these infections. So there you have it, the new STDs on the block. 
This podcast is sponsored by Pure Romance by Jordan Jones, offering top bath and beauty products and relationship enhancement items. Check out the link in the bio to start shopping today. Thank you for joining today and continuing to bring awareness to women's health. If you love the show, please subscribe so you never miss another episode and leave a review for others to see. If you want to see me on the daily, you can check out my bio for links to all my pages. Be sure to share this episode with your girlfriends. Thanks again and see you next episode.